Hey everyone, my name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and basically everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we've sometimes put it in. And so what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities, in order that we deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society and life. So journey with me as we go deeper and wider. Welcome back to Season 2 of Deeper and Wider. To kick off this season, we'll be talking about a more beautiful Pentecostalism. Now, for those who have been listening to the show long enough, you might have picked up on my distinct Pentecostal distinctive as a follower of Jesus. And whilst I don't like putting myself in a box, I can't be dishonest about my own history. Now, I have had a complicated relationship with my own Pentecostalism. At its worst, I have witnessed abusive uses of so-called words of knowledge, to faith being all about me but not my community, to parts of the movement being knee-deep in the so-called prosperity gospel and the religious political right. And yet, when you look at the legacy of the early modern Pentecostal movement, with its commitment to non-violence, its peace church origins, care for the poor, and its revival meetings that had women preaching as well as multiple ethnicities worshipping together in what was pre-civil rights America, you can see that there is so much then of the movement that is inspiring. And if you know where to look, this same legacy continues today with all the weird, wacky and wonderful things that make this movement distinct. I guess you could say part of my faith journey is to make Pentecostalism Pentecostal again. And you could say this episode is about exploring that. So we will talk about a more beautiful Pentecostalism with my guest today, Jonathan Martin. Jonathan Martin is the author of two critically acclaimed books, Prototype and How to Survive a Shipwreck. He has an amazing podcast called The Zeitcast, where he has interviewed a wide variety of guests. Now, Jonathan's work and words have been featured in places like the New York Times, The Atlantic, NPR, Newsweek, Vox, Sojourners, The Huffington Post, and Relevant Magazine. And he's also been published in scholarly journals like the Journal of Pentecostal Theology. Currently, he lives in Oklahoma City, where he serves as the lead pastor of the table. Finding God at the intersections, he moves fluidly between the secular and the religious contexts. Whether he's speaking at Elevation Church, Willow Creek Community Church, or universities like Princeton Theological Seminary, he has the same message. No matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, God is at work to bring beauty out of your brokenness. So let's talk with Jonathan Martin about a more beautiful Pentecostalism. Uh, So tell our listeners about yourself. What's your faith journey? Mm, my faith journey. Well, um, my father is a Pentecostal minister. My grandfather was a Pentecostal minister, so deep roots within that yeah, right. tradition. So I often say a hillbilly Pentecostal, just being from the southeast and being a product of this very 
rural, kind of sweaty, sawdust wow. form of Pentecostalism. Yeah, right. Which, you know, is a wonderful gift in so many ways. And, um, and has served me well in a lot of ways. I mean, it's been complicated in others. I, um, mm. I think I also was... So I grew up with a strong belief in God and the power of God and the yeah. power of the Holy Spirit. I also feel like a lot of my life, I felt like I was a bit of an outsider to those experiences, almost like that the people around me seemed to be tapped into an electricity that I mm. couldn't quite get a hold of for myself. Oh, really? So yeah. there was actually a sense of distance between what you saw of yeah. people having what you would call more explicit, quote-unquote, God encounters, and yes. then you going... Oh, I'm not having that. Like, yeah, you had this sense of disconnect in, in some ways. Or? Yeah, and and a hundred percent believing in it, like never yeah, doubting totally. it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Desperate yeah. for it. I mean, yeah. I and I went down for every invitation, every altar call. Yeah. Yep. Uh, these kind of um, long prayer gatherings and altar invitations we would have, yeah. where everybody in the room, as we would say, would have fallen out in the spirit. It yeah, looked right. like a Civil War battlefield, like <laughs> bodies everywhere. And I'd be the one person still standing. And I was yes. like, what's wrong with me that I'm not having wow. these experiences? Wow, okay. So, but, I, but I believed in it very strongly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and never stopped mm. believing in it. And I think I had my own encounters with the mystery of God in my way. Yes. Uh, but I just, but, but I never, never quite, but it was always hard for me to access my own experience. Yes. yes. And I think in the meantime, there was also because it was an environment where there are tons of preaching about hell, damnation, hmm. rapture into the world. And I really, I know a lot of people will, will drive by this, but I was, hmm. I mean, I was really scared. I mean, like, yeah, wow. Panic attack. I would say now, like, yes. You know, I probably should have been seen with a therapist when I was very young. Like it, to the point of like wow. crippling anxiety, in, even wow. in school. Wow. I mean, it was it was a real thing. I mean, even well on it. I remember even when I was in early college, mm. like sometimes being borderline as to how functional I was because I was that scared. Wow. And I think some of it was that I don't even know that I think now there's exactly something mm. wrong with me. I think like if you if you really believe those things, sure. then. I think actually to live that way would, would be a more normal response than to wow. shut it off. You know, I just took it all very seriously. I wow. was a true believer. Wow. So, um, so it was very, it was always, it was as my first conscious experiences of the presence of God or mm. sort of accepting Jesus in my heart or something go all the way back to when I was five. So I never, I don't, I don't remember a time of not knowing Jesus. Yeah. Right. Okay. But, but I think like in terms of, and yet there was this conscience, this constant anxiety that of, Maybe I'm not really saved, or my salvation didn't really take, or I'm not really a Christian. Yeah. Kind of hilarious to me now, since I had no, almost no experience of like mm. pushing mm. any boundaries. There was no prodigal yes. kind of season in my wow. young life. I mean, it was so like straight and narrow. But yeah, there was always in, in my in my head. It was still like this constant mm. Mm. wrestling with sin and salvation, and just wow. you know, life and everything was just you know, life and death stakes all yeah, the time. Yeah. Wow. You know? Wow. Um, but I guess it, it moves faster from here. I think in my early, um, in my early twenties in particular, yeah, probably going back even around 2021, a mm. couple things converged. Like my best friend in high school was, she was black. Her dad died of AIDS. Mm. That, ex I was around for all of that. And to make a very long story short, that whole experience just kind of opened me up. I think like 
to a world of suffering and beauty that I didn't know before. Wow. It kind of broke me open. Wow. And I think at the same time that was happening, I was reading theologically mm. for the first time and being introduced to ideas like the kingdom of God. Yes. And yeah. all these things started to, to converge. Where I just realized there was a world that was bigger than the one I came from. Yes. Wow. I started to encounter some Pentecostals. Mm. whose version of Pentecostalism was different than mine. It yeah, was right. Okay. A Pentecostalism marked by justice and mm-hmm. peacemaking. Yep. I knew that existed. In mm. fact, I was really afraid that maybe I would just kind of have to, all my big questions, maybe I would have to keep them down or quietly. I wondered, could I even stay within the tradition? And wow. For the first time I yes. was meeting people where I thought, oh, I could maybe even imagine yes. being that kind of Pentecostal. You yes. Know? yes. And, and uh, interesting enough, I think that was even the early stages of I was starting to dabble just a little bit with mm, mm. more sacramental practices. I was just starting to learn a little yes. bit about spiritual disciplines. And I wasn't quite there yet in terms of where I would go in terms mm. of this emphasis on the Lord's table. But um, mm. but the stuff that was leading there, I read yes. Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. Yep. I read Richard Foster's Celebration oh, of Discipline. Yep. And yep. those two books yes, wow. sent me into, even before I went to seminary, yes. sent me into like this deeper kind of... Wow. theological reading that wow. started to open stuff up for me. Wow. And I think then um, when I, uh, by the time then, uh, this may be a very, uh, no, skipping no, along, <laughs> by the time then I actually planted a church, yep. which I ultimately felt called to, had to, my own sense of, because that's a big thing to skip over, I guess. I'd, when I was 19, I had what I felt like was my own clear sense of call to ministry, which was a surprise. Yeah, right. I had no intentions of sort of inheriting the family business or something. Yeah, right. Because you had that generational. Yes, yeah. and I thought I for sure was going to do anything but that, like yeah, all right. preachers could say, but I really did not believe that was happening for me. <laughs> yes, totally. But by the time I planted a church, you know, it's like um, I was really by then full-blown experimenting with all this. Like we self-identified as a Pentecostal people in the sense that Mm. that centrality of the spirit to all things and the dynamism of following the spirit and the, you know, everybody has access to the voice of God and the presence of God. That was still driving me. Yes. Culturally, not Pentecostal in the ways I grew up. Sure. So it wasn't that hillbilly Pentecostal, that fear, fear based type stuff. And not quite as, not quite as fiery, passionate. Yes. But not that, that it was a different kind of fire. Totally. Totally. For different things. Yes. Fire for justice. Yes. (laughs) Um, but like, you know, but it was also very sacramental and we were, you know, like, Hey, well, well, I think we can be Pentecostal, but we could have the Lord's prayer and the apostles creed every week. And Oh yeah. I think we could preach from the lectionary and move to, you know, a weekly communion and all that. So, um, that was significant in terms of my spiritual journey. Mm. Um, my second book, how to survive a shipwreck course really, you know, covers this territory, but I think. Yes. Walking through a very painful divorce in my mid thirties mm. was really soul defining for me because I think up until that point, mm. I still was my whole life was roughly upwardly mobile and yes. very like <laughs> keeping the rules and doing the right things. I just hadn't had a significant experience of failure yeah, totally. or kind of life on the underside. So that was yes. transformational for me. Yes. And it was shocking because I think I thought it just felt like at the time it was my complete undoing. And yeah, wow. Wow. Uh, to my surprise, kind of felt like in terms of my soul life seemed to open up everything. I felt like up until that point, yes. as committed as I was, and I was honestly quite, mm. had most of my life been quite committed. Yeah, but totally. I feel like in that kind of undoing, mm. my soul life got much deeper. 
God seemed to be, and even that time in which I felt like my marriage was a failure, I felt like a failure, mm. God was much more real and present to me than yes. uh, I had ever experienced God before. So in some ways, it kind mm. of felt like, almost like I finally got through adolescence and became a spiritual adult yes, right. through all that. So, you know, so ever since, but so a lot of the, the, the journey, the stuff that I'm into now yes. had already started before that. Yes, but I right. think in terms of like having my own rich experience of God yes. and really feel like I'm knowing God yes. and even, you know, and even know how to pray for people and be there for people. I think a lot of that kind of yes. yes. happened kind of on the other side of my own yeah, wow. pain. Yes. So like in yes. just in terms of like broad sketches of spiritual biography, yes. that was kind of a yeah. broad Yeah, it, I guess. okay. Some people maybe listening to this, they would see something like the charismatic movement synonymous mm. with Pentecostalism. Yeah. Um, are there differences, like theologically or in terms of its origins or yeah. practice? How would you kind of see the distinction between um, what we would dub as the charismatic movement versus that of um, Pentecostalism? Well, you know, it, it, it depends on how you're looking at it. Because yeah, I think totally. if, like, if you're going, If you're going from 30,000 feet, yep. they're often people will often say Pentecostal slash charismatic because there sure. are a lot of similarities. Yeah, totally. But technically they really are different insofar yeah. Yeah. that the Pentecostal movement proper mm. starts in the early 1900s, yeah. uh, especially out of the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, one-eyed son of a slave, William mm. Seymour, is That's preaching it. in a rundown shack. Yes. The power of the Spirit falls. People are speaking tongues. Um, healings are happening. They see it as a restoration of the mm-hmm. same kind of signs and wonders that we read about in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And it's diverse. You've got mm-hmm. women preaching mm-hmm. and, um, you know, different cultures and ethnicities mm-hmm. worshiping together 50 years before the civil rights I was just going to say the context, the historical context is yeah. so important here. Oh, yes. it's, it's staggering. It's staggering. Yes. It's, it's very beautiful in that way. Yes. Uh, the movement I come from, you have a, sort of a concurrent revival happening in the mountains of, uh, the Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee and North Carolina, but mm. there are loose connections to Azusa Street even from that. Yes, right. So that's where the classical Pentecostal movement yep. begins, whereas the charismatic renewal proper actually mm. is a phenomenon within Catholic and mainline churches. Ah, interesting. Where more Pentecostal type phenomenon is yep. happening yes. within Catholic, Anglican, uh, Lutheran, yes. Presbyterian churches. Yes. Yes. And it happens more like kind of in the... Uh, the heyday was really in the 60s and 70s, yes, but still right. is happening now. Yes. Uh, and then also a lot of it very much non-denominational. Yes, but it's right. really... it's it's. I feel like so many of the markers are the mm. same, yes, but right. that the uh, it's it's more of a question of origin that one yes. traces back kind of like to this Azusa Street revival, mm. and and I think the culture is a little different too because especially mm. the, the stuff that comes out of like these more Protestant mainline and Catholic thing, it's just a different form. Totally, when you've got those gifts working within. These much older, ancient, mm. you know, structures. Yes, yes. I'm actually very interested in, in kind of the, the charismatic side of it now in that way. Yes, yes. And I think increasingly, you know, the lines in all these things are getting more and more blurred. And I yes. think that's, that's actually quite healthy, you know. Yes, yes. But technically, I do think there is a distinction. Yeah, interesting. You know, so. Interesting. I guess theologically as well, I, I imagine the charismatic movement occurred within established denominations where right. they already established theological doctrine or things yeah. like that. Whereas it sounds like from what you're saying, kind of Azusa Street and those other kind of Pentecostal revivals seem much more emergent in nature. They're, yes. I mean, I, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts behind that? I'm just curious if, if you 
are aware of any distinctions in that sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I do think in some ways, yeah. and I mean, I mean, people would debate this, of course. Sure. But I do tend to think that the Pentecostal movement on the whole mm. is a pretty significant theological revolution because yes. it's not entirely Catholic or Protestant. It, yeah. it really does not fit yes. neatly yes. At a, as a Protestant movement. It just yeah. doesn't. Yes, yeah. I mean, you could kind of technically say that it is, but it's... Yeah. It's really not Catholic. It's really not Protestant. Um, it kind of is a whole other mm. form of spirituality. Yes. And um, comes out of the seeds of the Wesleyan revival before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of it. It comes out of the holiness movement. Yeah. So there, yep. there are some distinguishing features that come out of that, which mm. would not be in like the more charismatic mm-hmm. uh, you know, movement quite so much. Mm. So yeah, like in that regard... I do think there are some significant differences. I think like the I think Pentecostal spirituality is a little bit wilder and the fact that it doesn't mm. come in mm. its origins yes. within an existing institutional structure yes. kind of makes all the difference in the world in it, some ways. It, it does. You and, know? and you see that in its early forms with yes. Azusa Street. Yes. As we mentioned before, fifty years before the civil rights movement. That's right. And you have you have multiple ethnic groups, you have right. yeah, male and female as well. And the spirit is falling, and they're all coming together. I mean, that's, right. and it's they had this sense it really is at its core, like it's a movement from the margins. It is, and it would have been a little bit too much anarchy mm. for an existing <laughs> structure. Yes, and I do think that's part of because because this this to me actually mm-hmm. is what makes the Pentecostal movement really what it is. Yeah, it's a question of authority. Yeah, wow. and the Pentecostal movement, there's a clear answer. Mm-hmm. It, you know, scripture is important and. Yeah. Yeah. Tradition, kind of, etc. But at the end of the day, it's, <laughs> sure. so, it's so clear. Like yes. the spirit is the source of all authority, and nothing trumps the spirit. Yeah. Well, these, you know, hey, the, the, I mean, the, these women. Well, you know, they're speaking in tongues just like we are. It's the same Holy Spirit. If yeah, God wow. has anointed them, but the Spirit has fallen on them, wow. who are we to question? Wow. So the, the, it's wow. so the question of it, it, it's a question of authority. Wow. And uh, you know, nothing trumps that. Yes. In the Pentecostal imagination, my, my goodness. Whereas I feel like you know, in any other tradition, yes, 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 <laughs> something else will take precedent historically, at yes, least, yes, of course, over the spirit, yes. And that's right. where I feel like you know, it kind of had to happen from the margins yes, because I think totally. within any you know, within any kind of structure that already existed, yes, there yes. wouldn't have been room for something that disruptive. You know? Wow, that that's an incredible way of, of thinking about it in terms of a, a place of authority. Because you're right, it it is. If, well, the, the spirit wants to do, the spirit wants to do. It, yeah. it, it's a radical movement yeah. of the spirit at its core. It kind of reminds me of, of that story where you have the eunuch in the book of Acts. Yes. And it's like, there's this movement of God in his life, in his yes. conversion experience. And then he's like, oh, look, there's some water. Could you baptize me? Yes. <laughs> which, yes. which, which challenges, you know, within, even in the early church, their whole paradigm of who's mm-hmm. in and who's out and what's mm-hmm. acceptable or what's not. It's, well, what's the spirit doing? That's right. So at its core, it's a, it's a, movement of, of the spirit now in some ways though in terms of its modern inception it it, mm-hmm. it it grew it changed and so what are some of the ways you think what was once this very kind of on the margins movement of the spirit this pentecostal moment when did it start to go off course or how has it gone off course in, in a lot of ways it goes off course quickly in fact i would say that um with Roughly within ten years, yeah. Um, Steve Land's 
academic book, Pentecostal Spirituality, mm-hmm. to me is yep. still the most important academic yep. book on the movement that exists. Yep. And he really makes the case strongly that the first 10 years of yeah. the movement define the center, not the periphery of it, not the, and I, I, which I agree with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but a couple things happened. Yes. I mean, very early on, mm. uh, there's racism. Yeah. Uh, some of the key leaders around uh, Seymour, people like Parham and others, mm. uh, don't like the racial diversity and immediately start pushing back on that. Wow. So it's, it's wow. kind of interesting how quickly people retreat mm. back into that. Mm. Early Pentecostals are cast out by fundamentalists. I think we could even say evangelicals. Mm-hmm. But I think then over time, mm. understandably, mm. in terms of like social location, they want to be accepted by their more evangelical peers. And the more they want to be accepted, right. the more they start behaving like their peers and they become more like the fundamentalists who speak in tongues. So they lose a lot of that wow. Wow. radical energy, you know? Yes. yes. Um, so, I mean, I, so I, I think it happens in, in a number of different directions, yes. you know? Yes. Um, but so I think, uh, I, I just think both in the direction of it, two ways, mm. you know, one is the kind of, uh, it, it becomes domesticated, mm-hmm. Uh, so that we can kind of accommodate to our more evangelical friends. So that's mm. where you become a lot less radical mm. around stuff on race and gender. Mm. But then I also think there's a different kind of cultural accommodation mm. that would be represented by things like the Word of Faith movement, yeah. which has nothing to do yes. with like that that kind of evangelical stuff, but yes. everything about like, mm. well, hey, like, you know, we want to live a good life too, mm. and becomes like a, a different. It's yes, but yes. it's still a bending to culture. Yes, that takes away the sharp edges. Wow, wow. of the Pentecostal movement. Yes, yes. Um, and I can, you know, it can make sense. I can understand like kind of how it it, it gets there. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I, I would also say I think in both those cases, those are deviations yes. of Pentecostalism yes. and that neither one of those extremes represent what Pentecostalism actually is. I mean, Absolutely. I, what I see so yeah. often now that gets called Pentecostal, I'm like, oh, no, that's just a Southern Baptist church where a handful of people speak in tongues yeah, yes. or a word of faith. Some of the, I don't mean to speak too broadly no, here, but some okay. of those things are like, oh, there's nothing recognizably Pentecostal. But it's a, mm. I'm not saying they're not Christians. Yeah, totally. But I think in terms of what I understand Pentecostal theology to be, I'm like, oh, I don't see any anything Pentecostal yeah, totally. about that. This is just something else. Totally, you know? totally. Because, yeah, as an emergent theology, from what I've I've gathered and what I've heard, it's almost like if it hadn't been co-opted by evangelical theology or these other theologies, if they just... If there was almost a, a an allowing for a natural theology to outwork itself and grow. I've even heard people say it has... Not not in the same church structure or even Mm -hmm. cultural sense, but similarities to even like Eastern Orthodox thought in terms of... Sure. Um, have you heard of this before? The, the... Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was part of my journey. Is It wasn't until I was doing my THM at Duke that I started doing more deep reading mm. in the Orthodox Church. And it was interesting because I felt like mm. all my life, I was adult life theologically, I was searching for yes. this robust theology of the Spirit. And yeah. I was kind of shocked mm. that in the Orthodox Church I found it because I just think... In the Eastern Church, the spirit never left. They just yes. kind of because in the East-West split. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to play inside baseball here for not <laughs> but you know, it's so good. <laughs> you know, when um, roughly a thousand years ago, when yep. the Eastern Western Church split, yep. the the West, the whole Western tradition, mm. not all bad, but it just becomes so much more a head tradition. Yes. And yeah. that actually is true both on the Catholic and Protestant side. Yep. Yeah, it's all the the whole lineage of kind of Augustine is just more mm. head, mm. and mm. so then even 
on into like the Reformation. Yeah. It's all this yeah. emphasis on uh, justification is very forensic. It's legal. Mm. It's you know the lot. It's very idea heavy. Yes. Whereas I feel like on the Eastern side, there was always an emphasis on the Spirit. There's yes. always an emphasis on mystery. Yes. So and it, faith was embodied as well. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Embodied yeah. practices yes. and embodied practices. Mm. So it's it's actually very interesting that when I got to reading more like. Um, Orthodox writers and thinkers and historic Orthodox writers and, mm. and thinkers that I found a surprising kind of symmetry between what I found there mm. and stuff I learned experientially kind of in the yes. Pentecostal church. Yes. yes. Which is funny because I mean, that, the Orthodox church is so ordered yes. and rigid <laughs> in yes. some ways in terms of form. That yes. might be the last place you'd expect to find it. But I actually feel like mm. a lot of that goes, you know, really beautifully yes. together. Yes. So that for me is like a deep well to drink from oh, now. Yes. And, and yes. maybe is the ultimate mm. illustration in some ways of how much within the broader body of Christ that kind of we need each other. That like, yes. I feel like it's, it's like... It's like the pneumatology is the word that we use for the study of the Holy Spirit, and um, it's like the to me the the Orthodox Church has in many ways the rooted anchored pneumatology mm. that uh, Pentecostalism often needs to connect to, yes. and it and cannot find in any other strand of mm. classical Christian yes. tradition. Yes, yes. So, given Pentecostal's more recent history um, with more toxic versions of of Toxic versions of evangelicalism or the prosperity gospel or the religious right. What might a more beautiful Pentecostalism look like beyond the impasse um, mm. from what it's been like? Wow. That's a great question. I mean, I think that um, a more beautiful Pentecostalism would first and foremost, to me, the downside of the Pentecostal movement. Now, now, I think we've always had resources to combat this. Seymour, William Seymour, mm. uh, Azusa, Azusa Street Revival again, all the way at the beginning of the movement, mm. was talking about how mm. the ultimate evidence of mm. being full of the Holy Spirit is love. Ultimate evidence. Yes, yes. There was plenty of talk about tongues. Mm. The, the tongues was a marker of the movement. Yeah, totally. But ultimate evidence of baptism of the Holy Spirit being love. Mm. I do think the instincts are there fairly early, though, the Pentecostal movement of... And it makes sense. I mean, you know, Pentecostals are oppressed, and they are experiencing something kind of historically unique, and mm. it is a powerful move of God. But I think, you know, it reflexively, mm. there's this... Um, y you start to articulate this kind of like what can sound like mm. we're the ones who really have the Holy Spirit. And sure. it can sound like the Spirit is kind of a merit badge. Like we, we have the Holy sure. Spirit yeah. Yeah, yeah. in a way okay. that other people do not. Yeah, yeah. And whereas I think the Pentecostal, the gift of the Pentecostal movement mm. uh, is to really to, it's a renewal movement yes. that's intended to help the broader church, capital yeah. C, Mm, mm. Rediscover the ways in which she is Pentecostal yes. already. The whole church is Pentecostal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They have Pentecostal <laughs> birthday of the whole church, and yes. the gift of Pentecost is for the whole church. Yes. So I just think like there's there's always been a, and this is true, of, I suppose, mm. most any sect in the body of Christ, a temptation towards exclusivity. Mm. And uh, whereas I just think you know the Pentecostal movement 
should be needs to be mm. more inclusive in this way yes. need that Pentecostals in general mm. need to think a bit, a bit more deeply about how connected we are to the broader body of Christ because mm. I think especially because because to be clear mm. um, Pentecostals and I, I'm surprised that I think people forget this mm. in the present in a lot mm. of parts of the world sometimes mm. by I, this is funny to say out loud because almost yeah. like it's, it's not politically correct but like mm-hmm. I know a lot of places where Pentecostals are, are fairly persecuted by mm. Catholics in some part of the world, depending yeah, on the right. jurisdiction there, or yeah, by right. certain kind of kinds of Protestants. Yes, yes. In the origin of the movement, they're all persecuted. Yeah, right. And I think what happens, you know, we always, people who are traumatized always reenact that trauma yes, on others, totally, which totally. is, I have been around Pentecostals, who certainly been kind of reenact the same thing. Yeah. Then then you become like, well, you're not Pentecostal enough, or you're not <laughs> a real Pentecostal. We're the real Pentecostals. Yeah, wow. you know, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just hungry for mm. to see an expression of Pentecostalism that like doesn't have that kind of totally. edge. Yes. It's not but, like an in club house. Yes. It's, it's a it's meant to be a gift for the wider body of Christ. Yes. And and not even that in, in a in an elitist way either. It's not right. like it's like, oh well we've got the spirit. And exactly. It's it's just a different flavour of the spirit that's right. more explicit in nature, that's perhaps right. for lack of a better word, that then goes out and blesses the wider that's body. That's right. Because of course then and and I'm interested to hear this as well, like because of course you've also spoken about the gifts that we can receive from the spirit from other traditions yeah, and other denominations right. as, as well. And what have been some of those things? Like you, you've mentioned communion, yeah. obviously, like the open table. Yeah. What have been some other practices from other other traditions within the faith that you've incorporated within your own kind of walk or your own Pentecostalism, so to speak? Well, man, there's so many. I mean, I feel like, you know, um, we talked a little bit about the orthodox theology of the spirit yeah. and emphasis on mystery i think the um the the the, the catholic sense of sacramentology and the mm, mm. the that kind of reverence for the eucharist like has marked me thomas merton wanted to be a monk because he wanted to live in the same room mm. underneath the host that was his idea like wow. i want to live in the same place where the communion bread is wow. like that you wow know, wow Yes. That, that that's powerful to yes, me. Yes, yes. Um, I think that uh, you know other things. I mean, a lot of things have marked me about Methodism, but that's so connected to my Pentecostalism. Yeah, sure. It's so Wesleyan of its in nature. Origins, yeah. You know, so a lot of that's like you know, it's like really connected. But uh, you know, in really every strand, I mm, find mm, mm. beauty. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, in some ways these days, I feel like I'm the furthest apart from being a Baptist, and yet mm. even in that, I feel yep. like. Totally. This emphasis on the Word of God yep. and that anybody and everybody has mm. access to the Word of God, as much as I've seen that misused, I yes. still find yes. beauty. Yes, absolutely. And any person anywhere yeah. can can get a hold of or have yes. God's Word get a hold of them yes, yes, in a way yes. that like is transformative. The Anabaptist Church has. Mm. That's real connected because yes. one of the things that, that utterly knocked me off my feet in my early to mid 20s mm. is that I was shocked to discover mm. that the Pentecostal movement in its origins was a peace move- yes, movement. Yes, that's right. And part of why that was really shocking to me yes. is that my grandfather, who's been dead since I was three, mm. was, because he was a tough man, hard man, yeah, right. police officer, yeah, yeah. who then uh, turned his his badge and gun when he got saved, felt called, before he booked a single revival, yeah, you well. know, he said he felt called to preach. Yes. Well, 
no one in my family ever told me until like I was way into adulthood yeah. that he was a conscientious objector during wow. World War Two and didn't fight. Yes. Wow. Because that's not the kind of story we'd tell now. Yes. That wouldn't be a, yes. considered a good thing. I think wow. it'd be, that'd wow. be something you'd whisper now. Wow. And so it was. Yes. I mean, it's even in my own family yes. story, yes. and yes. I did not know it yes. for most of my life. Yes. Yes. So um, that you know made me much more interested in Anabaptist roots. Yes. Because yes. You know, and the broader kind of peace church mm. traditions. So that's mm. been huge for me, too. Yeah. So now, in some ways, you know, I really, now more than ever before, see just how connected yes. all of it is. Absolutely. And, you know, when I look at, at the Quaker church, I see all these mm. common threads with my Pentecostalism and all mm. that, too. And that mm. sense of, you know, abiding in the quiet and waiting on God to move yes. and to yes. speak. And, yes. of course... In Pentecostals, we often don't make space for the quiet, so that's something yes. that I need because yes. I wasn't yes. raised totally. with that. Totally. So there really are gifts. It's part of, you know, my theory now, mm. and it's why that's such a great question. Mm. My theory now is that, like, um, I feel like we often can encounter God the most profoundly mm. in whatever expression is most foreign to us. Yeah, wow. Because it kind of shocks our senses. Yes. Because, like, I remember some of my earliest experiences in like high church liturgical at first of course i was suspicious but there also was like swept off swept off my feet by the beauty and grandeur of it of like what is this yes because it was so different i mean i had been and all i have seen people do the craziest things in church almost where like it's almost lost on me because i've like i've seen it all and done it all yeah but the quiet and the reverence and the rhythm of it like swept me off my feet now but then i meet people all the time who have been in those kind of settings all their lives mm. to the point to where it, it almost becomes meaningless. Yes. And then they get in, they experience some of that Pentecostal or charismatic wildness and they're like, mm. where has this been all my life? Yes. Well, here's where the spirits really at work. I think it's often because it's like whatever is most other to us. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's almost like the otherness of it mm. kind of knocks us off guard yes, in yes. a way that helps us experience the surprise of God. Yes. So I think that like so in a way it's like no matter where we are, we always need to still be surprised by God. And yes. that takes something yes. different yes. from yes. what's familiar to us. Yes. And that is called that's Pentecostal nature because that's a movement of the spirit. Yes. It's the spirit drawing yes. us into the, those spaces which are foreign or other to us or mysterious that's to right. us. That's and right. And yet if we follow the spirit like the wind. Yes. Which is Pentecostalism yes, <laughs> at, yes. at, its, at its more baseline core. Yes. It's the wider church at its Absolutely. baseline core. It's, 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 it's you know, a people generated by the Spirit, moved by yeah. the Spirit into the world. Yeah, yeah. it's it's to no surprise then that God will call us into those spaces. Yeah. And that to be a very, you know, maybe Pentecostal lowercase p thing, you know, right. that God would do that. Right. So some of, perhaps if you could um, tell us about just give us some some understanding of these things because I can imagine some people um, hearing things like the whole notion of speaking in tongues, sure. for example, or prophetic words. Mm-hmm. So what are your experiences and also your thoughts mm. on things like that? Mm-hmm. Maybe let's just pick one to start with. Sure. Speaking in tongues, what do we make of that? <laughs> like, what, 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 do we, what do we actually make of speaking in tongues? Because... That's an interesting one that often people pick up on when, oh, they, yeah. when they hear of either Pentecostalism or even just the broadly charismatic movement. Yeah. Well. well, it's easy one to pick up on because it's so weird. Yes. In any for any <laughs> time or space, I think you know. Well, it first appears in Scripture in the Book of Acts when people are first filled with the Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. That's mm. a particular phenomenon yeah. where um, these people from 
different nations and tribes are actually hearing um, what the apostles are saying in mm. their own respective languages. Yeah. But then, as Pentecostals are fond to point out, there's a word in uh, Greek and Paul's letter to Corinthians for an unknown tongue. Yeah. So right. I think, you know, while there still is this phenomenon, and I know a lot of stories about that where, mm. and have ex- experienced that actually, where someone would speak in a tongue mm. where they actually spoke in a known language that they did not know. Yeah, wow. Um, where then someone there, you know, heard some word from God in their own language and the person did not know the language yeah, they were speaking. Wow. I do I, I, I do believe that still happens. Yep. Yep. But I think generally what Pentecostals mean by speaking tongues, the more common mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. they uh, this idea of, of a of a prayer language yeah, where there is right. some sort of a um, this kind of guttural connection with God. There's that wonderful verse in Romans that talks about how uh, the Spirit prays through us with groans too deep yes. for words. And yes. that's my favorite way to think about yeah, totally. speaking in tongues. Is mm. that? And interesting enough, I, I've been talking about this lately. Yeah, right. Yeah, Because it's just, it, coming from the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. it's been a more recent practice in my life to use mm. uh, things like the Jesus Prayer. Yeah. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And to yes. pray a lot of time. And it's interesting to me how mm. I'll repeat a prayer like that a lot. And it dawned on me recently mm. how I think it actually has a similar effect of speaking tongues. Yeah, interesting. That, to re- that using a, a prayer like that, a written prayer, but repeating it many mm. times, mm. or to speak in tongues, I think are both mm. just different ways of mm. kind of short-circuiting the wow. intellect. Because in wow. either case, yes. that same verse, of, that same passage of Romans 8... Mm. Because for we don't know how to pray as we ought, but mm. the Spirit prays through us. Mm. We're trying to get out of head and get into heart and yes, belly. Yes, so yes. it's trying to get to the prayer that's deeper than words. Yes, yes. Because there are things that we don't have words for. Yes. And I yes. think that's really what tongues is kind of about. Is yes, that totally. a way of some kind of a connection with God. Now, exactly what that is. Yes, is totally. this an actual language? Yeah. What exactly does yeah, that totally. mean? Yeah. I mean, I think what most Pentecostals kind of understand it to be is that here's some sort of mysterious expression that's between me and God that is some sort of like a, uh, that's a language of, of intimacy. Mm. This is like, this is just, this is an, this is just between me and the Lord. This mm. is some kind of a private mm. prayer language. I mm. think that's the most normal expression yes. yeah. for Pentecostals. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think it's intended to be something that's, mm. uh, that's beautiful. It's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not always fond because you'll hear this in a lot mm-hmm. of Pentecostal circles. Um, sometimes the language of speaking in tongues will be used as the initial evidence of spirit yep. baptism. <laughs> and I understand why we get there. Yeah, it's again sure. like, you know, but, but what I don't like about it is that I think it takes something that's intended to be really beautiful. Yes. And it turns into something like, you know, abstract. You don't order. have the evidence yet. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. Have you got the evidence? Like, I know. oh, well, this is be beautiful. And, and that's, and that's got going back to what we said before, like when Pentecostalism gets weaponized and yes. it gets. And it gets it just gets it, nasty things happen to it, and, and right, it trickles down to even things like tongues. Which, yeah. which you know, I, I I'm with you. It's like it, it can just be a beautiful experience. Yeah. But you know, like, who gives a rip if if, if X Y Z person doesn't do it? You're not less of a Christian, you know. Yeah. And you know, and you're right. It's like 
initial effort. Like it's that sounds so technical to me for 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 a movement that's meant to be kind of more sporadic. Have you kissed the bride yet? Have you kissed the bride? <laughs> like it's yes. it's not going to make you more likely to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing because that intensity and pressure. I thought that's a lot of happened to me when I was younger. Yeah, there totally. was so much pressure on it. Yes, that I couldn't a- access that kind of mm. vulnerability with God yeah. because I felt like it was too, the stakes were too high. Like I, I have to speak in tongues. How am I going to speak in tongues? Mm. Mm. Which is exactly the wrong recipe to mm. get to a moment of transcendence with yes, God yes, yes. is to put a bunch of pressure on that moment. That's not good for anybody. Because yes, exactly. the stories I hear from people most commonly about speaking tongues, actually, mm. when they experience it for the first time, yes. is that um, I was in the shower and I was praying or I was right on the road or maybe even coming out of some deep emotion or grief mm. or something. That was, this mm. came, came from some deep and spontaneous place. Yes, like yes. that's... Of course, it yes. would come from an organic yes. kind of spontaneous place that wasn't forced in yes. some way. Yes, but I love even that word phrase used being weaponized. I mean, yes. you know, it's just like. Yes. But yeah, I think that. But I think. But that. That is an important marker of mm. the movement. I think precisely because that's mm. so much what the Pentecostal movement is about is yes. like, okay. Is about transcendence. Yes, yes. Not getting out of the body. Yeah, totally. But transcending intellect, transcending yep. head. And yes. I think tongues maybe embodies that idea yes. better than anything else yes, within yes. the tradition. Yes, yes. And so I guess then that these things like speaking in tongues or prophetic words, yeah. like these in non-weaponized form or non-co-opted forms, mm-hmm. I imagine you can see them playing a role in the more beautiful Pentecostalism. Oh, and, sure. And even the more beautiful gifts to the wider church yes. as well. Yes, yes. Uh, the thing about words, which... Now that, and especially kind of more the second half of my life, yeah. I've seen used in especially beautiful ways. Yes. I think precisely because, like, I've just come to believe that, you know... I'm not saying it could never happen, but... Mm. The way, if, if God leads someone, the Spirit guides someone to mm. to, to tell someone something, mm. I'm just so convinced that that's almost never mm. going to be about, like, judgment or something. Yep. I just think God is yep. tender and the voice of God is tender. Yep. And I so believe that the what the gifts are for in general in the body of Christ is a way of, of loving each other yes. and loving on each other. Mm. And when mm. you're around healthy people, yes. where gifts serve a function of love... yes. That, I, you know, now I have like almost no anxiety about that. I used to like when I was younger. Mm. Anything I understood about prophetic gifts was more like, oh, I would hate to be around a person who really hears from God in that way, mm. because inevitably they're going to see the most humiliating, shameful experience of my life, and they're going to broadcast it. Well, that's ridiculous. Like yeah. because the Holy Spirit is not about shame. The Holy yes. Spirit is shame. No. That's not how that works at all. Yeah. The Holy, like what inevitably what I find happens is mm. that. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it's always going to be it's going to be tender. Mm. It's like um, it's it's not it's not like God's going to um, going to see like oh here's your most secret hidden ugly thing. It's more likely to be like mm. here's that really secret hidden beautiful thing that no one else yeah, sees. Totally. That's much more like God yes, to yes. kind of speak into. Yes, yeah. uh, and and anything that I think the Holy Spirit even were to reveal would always only be for the sake of. Mm. Uh, of of healing, never again to like yes. exposed to shame. Yes. That's, that's not how God works. Yes. So so I'm much more comfortable with those kind of things now that I've seen them operate mm. in mm. a more healthy way. I yes. know places where they don't. Yes. But. Oh, and, and a very very similar experience to me. Like a lot of these things, such as speaking in tongues or prophetic words or discernment, I've seen them used in very harmful, weaponized ways. But I see that as the the 
the deforming of those otherwise beautiful yeah. gifts of the spirit. Yes. Because I'm with you, like on the far side when they've actually been wiped clean of all the muck and the dirtiness right. they've been co-opted by by particular movements or peoples or theologies, on the ground it's actually so beautiful when someone actually does have a word for you. Yes. And yes, yes. And it's so moving. And it's and and things like as as well, like, you know, speaking in tongues. Yeah. It's it's not that pressure thing that you, yeah. you mentioned earlier. It's actually about this the wider experience of the Holy Spirit yes. pouring out on God's people. Yes. And moving throughout the world in mysterious mm-hmm. ways as well. Um, bringing new life. That's right. And that's exciting, I think. And what I love most about the Pentecostal movement mm. is that it's not the bishop who gets that word. Mm. Mm. It's not mm. the preacher in the fancy suit. Yes. Anybody can get that word. Absolutely. It's utterly democratic in yes. that way. Yes. No one has yes. some special claim mm. on the gifts of God and the mm. power of God. And that goes back to that authority thing you mentioned before. Yeah. It's 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 up to the spirit what the spirit wants to do, ultimately. So the lowest socioeconomically like the the person who'd be considered the most low-class person in the community mm. may be the most prophetically gifted person in that yep. community who God most powerfully uses. Yep. And and I see that happen all the time. Yeah, and it's wow. one of the, the, is that like how... What I love about the wildness of the spirit in that yes. way. It's like it just inverts yes. and subverts power structures yes. all the time. Yes. Like none of that none of that matters here yes. in this kind of space. Yes. In the Pentecostal movement, again, it's most beautiful. And of, of course, yeah. and, and a lot of our churches now we mimic. T- blah, totally, blah, blah, blah. totally. And I think that's all those important qualifiers to recognize that yes. what we're talking about is a Pentecostalism on the far side of, of those things like you know, the co opting of from the far right or, yes. the, or the prosperity gospel and things like that. Yes. At its core if at its core when we just listen to the spirit, like that's genuinely right. listening to the spirit, that's it right. will it will cut through that mark. I mean that's the hope. Absolutely. <laughs> that we have, we have ears ears to hear and, 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 and hearts to be open. Somebody told me not long ago and I, I remember I can I cannot remember who this was or where mm. this company that just came to my head yeah. that somebody told me not long ago, you know like when you what you describe about being a when you talk about the kind of Pentecostal you aspire ascri- uh, would aspire to be mm. sounds to me like just what I would hope to be in terms of like just being a Christian. I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah, it exactly. really is. Yes, yes. Like it, I, I don't want I don't what I'm to, what I'm talking about this kind of basic orientation of mm. living in the spirit and walking in the spirit. At the end of the day, this really is more mm. how I think about being a Christian. Exactly, exactly. Else. It's it's not about. And I think that's important to say as well, even even for listeners on this podcast, that when we're talking about Pentecostalism, we're not talking about it as some sort of sub-elite category. It's like right. we are, as we said before, talking about just going back to well, the book of Acts, you know, the, the birth of the church yeah. and what it means to be a people of God led by the Spirit of God yes. and walking in step with the Spirit in yes. the world. And I think that's what made kind of Pentecostalism in, in its revival form in its early days so beautiful and that is of course the hope of 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 the church of the spirit moving in such ways that we have those ears to listen those those hearts to willing to be open to challenge all our power structures uh, and challenge all our levels of how we understand authority and the like because if the spirit at its core is about coming to bring as i've heard it said before from others you know bring god's future into the here and now in yes. anticipation for that final day once yes. one day being 
fully everywhere where where you know, the love of God is all in all. That's right. And the presence of God is all in all. That's right. Um, then leaning into mm-hmm. um, the the spirit of the of Pentecost, which is the Holy yeah. Spirit, which is for the whole church, is leaning yeah. into what God's wanted to do for the whole world and, mm-hmm. and for God's people mm-hmm. and, and as we move out into the world. Mm-hmm. So so good. How might then we as... And perhaps you've answered this already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this would be the last question. Um, how might we, the global church, learn from her Pentecostal distinctive? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. Well, you know... It's interesting because I think the um, the average Christian in the world right now I think is roughly 22, 23 years old and mm-hmm. is not white but black, not mm-hmm. male but female. Yeah, yeah. And the you know the global character of the church is has changed and mm. is changing so rapidly. Mm. Um, so I think it's 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 a loaded question because mm. mm. there's a lot that's still shifting. Yes. And there's a lot that is challenging me and, and is still challenging me. Yes. Because I think that, you know, the old power structures are just, they're, man, the, the, it's like the sand is shifting underneath our feet mm. so fast now. Yes, yes. Gracious, how to even keep up with that or mm. what that means or what to do from it. Mm. But I think like at the end of the day, the God of the Exodus mm. is always on the move yeah. and still is on the move. Yes, and I yes. think like, Maybe the thing that we most have to have to learn is mm. flexibility. Yes. Which doesn't mean I know there's a there's a way that Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever. Yeah, totally. But I also think, especially in a time like this one, it's very important that mm. people of faith are able to keep moving forward yes. and are able to listen to the Spirit in real time. Yep. And that while there is a way that our faith is anchored, mm. that there's also a certain I don't know a kind of real time discernment yep, that happens absolutely. too. And and this is this is actually a way not only I would challenge people who are not Pentecostals, but it's the way mm. I find myself often trying to challenge fellow Pentecostals is mm. that I feel like people who allegedly theoretically listen to the Holy Spirit mm. ought to be the quickest to like, okay, like let's let's mm-hmm. let's bend where we need to bend. Let's yes. Yes. you know, it, yes. maybe God used used mm. us this way in this season, but mm. maybe in another season we're supposed mm. to go in a different direction. Yeah, totally. totally. Maybe, you know, I mean, we think about even Israel's journey in the Old Testament. Like, you know, there's, mm. you don't need the same miracle in, mm. uh, in, uh, in crossing, you know, crossing the Red Sea was one thing, but now when you're in the desert, you yep. don't need the waters parted anymore. You yeah, need, yeah, yeah. Uh, you need streams in the desert. Yes, These totally. are different stages of the yeah, journey. Yeah, totally. And so sometimes it can bother me how inflexible yes, Pentecostals yes. are in that yes, way yes. to, you know, the creativity of the Spirit or mm, the surprise yes, of the Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. To me, that's what a truly Pentecostal people should be is always mm. open to the surprise of God. Yes. So, yes. you know, so in that regard, I think people can learn that from Pentecostals, but I think Pentecostals need to learn that from their own tradition. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. And we have the resources for it, but you know, so many Pentecostals aren't aware of their own heritage. In that yes, way. yes. Which, and I wanted to say this before, maybe this is a good place to just insert yeah, another yeah, last it. question. I ju- literally just had this question, and yes. it was a great question from mm. someone, um, uh, from a leader within a large church mm-hmm. who specifically asked me, um, not from where I come from, um, like, why are you, the term wasn't married, but it was something like, 
why do you, basically ask me why I still would use the term Pentecostal yeah, at all? Yeah. And didn't ask it in a pejorative way. I like get totally. a sincere question. Like, yeah. like, why would you still contend for this term? Yeah, good question. And one of the things I said was, well, you know, like, um, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know that I exactly fight for it. It's not that I'm so, uh, again, because it's certainly not the, you know, we're the ones who really have the yeah, spirit. Totally. I don't feel hung up on terminology. Totally. You don't even put yourself in a box. No, no, that's, no. That's I'm, not, I'm not trying to push yeah. it on anybody or whatever. Mm. But here's the thing. Yeah. And it's why, like, sometimes, and I, and I, and I, and I, say, this, I say this really gently because, like, so many people that I know mm. don't want to identify with any particular Christian tradition, and I understand that. Sure, yeah. But there really is no such thing mm. as a generic tradition. Christian. Yes, yes. Everybody. We, we talked about this the other night. Yes, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Everybody is connected to a tradition. Yes. Whether Christian or not, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. But if we're talking right now in context of Christianity, yep. Yep. everybody has a faith stream. And mm-hmm. if you don't acknowledge that you're part of a tradition, mm. it makes you kind of dangerous. Yes. I should understand this because I'm an American. And one of the reasons that Americans are the most dangerous people in the world mm. is because mm. we have no sense of history. Wow. We're an ahistorical people. Wow. And we're a and we tend to be ahistorical when we come to our faith. We're like wow. an ahistorical people with an ahistorical faith wow. worshiping an apolitical Jesus who didn't live wow. in a particular place it with wow. a particular people yeah. you know yes. so then it just yeah. it just gets to be whatever we make up as we go Jeez. well when did this start well with our church that started <laughs> 15 years ago yes. or something yes actually no yes. like yes. whatever church movement whatever part of it's part of a larger story yes. and if you don't know that the problem is mm. Mm. then you're not aware of the strengths or the limitations. Yes. Part of what I love about owning a tradition mm. is that you have to own the weakness of that weakness of that tradition. This is why people don't own a tradition because mm. every tradition, while it has something beautiful, like we talked about earlier yes. in the conversation, mm. there's also yes. something really jacked up about each of them. Yes. Every single one, Anabaptist, regular Baptist, mm. uh, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Catholic, mm. Pentecostal, mm. without a single exception, mm. there is atrocity mm. in every Christian tradition. Yes. There's literally not one yes. that yeah. doesn't have like stuff that will make you cringe Absolutely. if you study the history closely enough. Yes. Yes. But that's part of the deal, I think, is that it means you always have to start from a posture of confession. Like, these yes. are my people. Yes. And here's the stuff we've got right, but there's stuff we've got really wrong. Mm. And I feel like so long as you don't own... Mm any particular tradition as your own, as your own mm. then you don't have to start from a posture of confession. You just mm. kind of got to get to pretend we just started here with the Bible mm. and it's just, it's just not true. So, yes. and again, I'm not trying to push the point too hard. Sure. I just think like, it's not, it's not, and I, again, I say that with the self-awareness of being an American. Yes, yes. I should know. It's just not the healthiest way to approach the yes. world because yes. then you're, you're detached from any sense of broader story. Yes. I don't even care, and this is true. Mm. I really don't care which story you identify with mm. because I think there's merit in all of them. Yes. I just think it's still good to attach to some story somewhere. Yes. Because being connected to a larger story yes. is how we find we make meaning out of our lives. Yes, yes. And uh, how, and, and so in any tradition, any yes. kind of faith system or tradition, it's just, I just think it's important to see how we're connected. Yes. So that's where I say to people like, hey man, I'm not trying to push you like, but it's not like I think your denominational label is somehow of like ultimate significance. I would mm. just say like, whatever your own faith system or practice is, yes. practice it. Yes. 
own it. Yes. And if you're part of a thing, mm. find out what that thing is part of. Yes. And if you're part of a people, where did those people come from? Yes. So you can get a sense of it. Yes. To just kind of get a sense of kind of like where you fit in. Because yes. the more educated you are about that, mm. then it just helps you mm. understand better like where your own life fits in. Mm. You know, hear the hear the strengths of the tradition, hear the weaknesses. I just think it helps us understand our place, mm. how we might need others within the uh, the broader body of Christ, even round us out in that way. If that makes any kind of sense. No, no, it does. It does. So, 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 no, no, it's great. It's good. It's good. It's good preach. It's good juice. <laughs> so for you, it's like the reason why you would still identify like, cause, cause that was the, that was the question you were asked. Yeah. So like, yeah. So why would you still have this, Distinctive, yeah. for, for lack of a better word, this distinctive. And for you, it's like we got to take ownership of of a tradition we find ourselves in, yes. for better or for worse. Yes. And actually, and what does it mean to be a people who confess, as you said, um, the wrongs of that tradition? Yes. Um, and for the hope that beyond the impasse of confession unto repentance, that we right. find something beautiful on the far side of it. That's right. That's yes. right. Yeah. Now, again, not because it's like. I find it like because the Pentecostal one is the right one or the Absolutely. best one or something. Totally. It just happens to be the one I come from. Absolutely. That's all. Absolutely. And if my uh, and if my roots were if we're more Anabaptist, yeah. and I think it's okay to it's, it's okay to move. You know, yes. I have mm, um, totally. I'm not really going this route now because I don't feel like it's where God has ultimately called me to ministry. But yeah. during this season of my life a few years ago, I actually got confirmed in the Episcopal Church. Mm. So I All have right. a connection yes. to Anglicanism in that yes. way. Yeah. But I still feel like, you know, I think even if I had become an Episcopal priest, I still feel like I'd be a Pentecostal no matter where I yeah, was. Totally. You know? totally. So again, I'm not being super legal. It's exactly. not about where you hold membership. Yes, in, yes. But yes. just kind of how you understand who you are in the broader context yeah. of a faith story. Totally. I just think it's helpful because it gives you a handle yes. on yourself yes. and your story and the story of the people that yes. you come yes. from yes. and where all that's going somehow. It gives you a starting place. Absolutely. And on the far side of even all that, we then people from all these different traditions all come together at at the, at the table. Exactly. Yes. So it's a starting place with the conversation, that's yes. all. Yes. Because you could, I've, never, I've never made this connection in a mm. conversation before. But the problem with not doing it mm. is the same problem with interracial conversation yes. with whiteness. Yes, everybody else has a color, mm. but why? <laughs> but I'm white. I have no culture. Wow, I don't come from anywhere. Yeah. They all those people have cultures. Yes, the, the ethnic people. Yeah, yeah you like, fetishize them, but, you fetishize but we're, them. we're the default. Kind right. Of, yeah, yeah. We're neutral. Yeah, we, we have yeah. a blank slate. We have no biases. <laughs> we have no prejudices. Mm. Like, whatever. This is just this mm. is just ground zero. Mm. Ground zero. Mm. That's what I think happens yes. when people don't claim like any kind of a tradition is that yes. they assume that they're not predisposed towards anything. Yes. yes. That there's that they that they don't have a story mm. beyond them that's shaping them. So yes. like, well, that's just not true. Yes. Exactly. Like whoever your ancestors are, mm. wherever you come from, like more and again in kind of a. Uh, racial and yeah, nationalistic totally. kind of sense yeah. shapes your story yeah, in some yeah. way. So wow. it's like more like that. Like, wow, that's a really under- profound connection, actually. To see, I never it, about to, it to see, like f- first time on Deeper and Wilder. Right here, <laughs> boom, boom. <Yeah. laughs> wow, this has been a wild conversation, Jono. This I has, love it. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I feel like we need to round it out somehow. I don't mm. know. Could you could you pray for us? I'd love that. Yeah, I'd be awesome. happy to. Thank you. Well, Holy Spirit, for anybody and everybody who's listening right now, 
all of them, all of us, mm. have a story. And um, they're stories that are full of joy and laughter and trauma and pain and a lot of things that are hidden that other people don't see. Mm. I just thank you, God, that in the diversity of all of our stories that you have been at work. Mm. And that your spirit is always at work. And part of what's so wonderful about your spirit is that what we feel like mm. our lives are chaos. We feel like um, our lives aren't a story at all. It feels like uh, sometimes just a bunch of stuff happens and these loosely mm. connected episodes or events. Mm. But you, as it as we read about in Genesis, you're, you still hover over the, the chaos mm. and you bring order and you bring life yes, and you're making a story. Mm. And I just, uh, we just feel led to pray that over people who are listening now. There mm. just be a sense of your spirit hovering over the chaos yes, and making a story. Mm. And I thank you, God, that even when we don't know where that story is going or what that story is, that mm. uh, that doesn't mean that there's not a story that's being brought together. That doesn't mean that you're not telling a story of our lives. Yes. And I just pray that you would mm. um, just give folks who are listening right now the grace to trust that you are doing that, that mm. there is a story that you are telling of them that um, is so much richer and better than mm. the, the stories that we tell about ourselves. Mm. I, I just pray just for uh, patience in the meantime to trust that, mm. that even though we might not see how it's all connected. Because I, I felt that even like in some of the things we were talking about, that mm. a lot of people are really, they want to know what their story is, but they just yes. don't quite know what it is. <laughs> mm. They're not mm. fits yet. And mm. I just pray God just, you would give us, give them the grace to just sort of be awake and alert yes, because you are whispering and you are moving and those mm. things will come together in due time. But I just pray there wouldn't be an anxiety just instead mm. for, um, that just when the time is right, that you would just begin to reveal some of those things. Those, mm. So these questions of belonging and, mm. uh, connection and tradition and people and story mm. that you would reveal those things. God. Yes, God. That it wouldn't be a thing that has to be, um, where folks feel like they need to just pound the pavement or make it happen or make mm, it work. Mm. God, there truly would be a sense of slowly over time of just of, of, of revelation that they would just kind of look at their lives and mm. they'd even look back at their history and that some things would just start to come into view, into perspective. They would just see things. So mm. just open up our eyes that we might see. And I mm. pray that when we don't yet see, that we would uh, understand that maybe it's just not time for the seeing yet. Mm. And mm. that even that, you would give us the grace to yes, trust that your spirit is at work. Yes. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. That was today's episode talking about our more beautiful Pentecostalism with Jonathan Martin. To follow the work of Jonathan Martin, follow him on either Facebook at facebook.com slash Jonathan Martin online. You can also follow him on Instagram at Jonathan Martin or Twitter at the boy on the bike. Also check out the church he pastors by going to the table OKC.com and follow his podcast, The Zeitcast.